Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Ziaul Raushan with you on Money FM 89.3. Dan Co with me in the studio. Dan, how's your morning coming along? Good morning, Raushan. Very good. Yep, certainly. And it's time for Money and Me. Today, we turn our attentions to US tech stocks. Well, the aggressive tightening from the Federal Reserve has undoubtedly shaken many US tech stocks throughout the year. In fact, the drop in total market capitalization of US tech companies this year is nothing short of remarkable, having witnessed a shakeup in the membership to the trillion dollar market club. Now, if you remember back in 2021, there were a total of seven companies that were classified under this exclusive club. But fast forward to the present day, following the sharp movements in the share prices of big tech stocks over the recent weeks, there are only three tech companies in the US with a market cap greater than $1 trillion. Dan, do you know the markets? Yeah, the namely Apple at $2.2 trillion, Microsoft at $1.7 trillion, and Alphabet at $1.2 trillion. And on the losing end, we've got Amazon, Meta, Tesla, and Netflix losing their membership after suffering sharp declines over the past 12 months following the remarkable change in sentiment towards the tech sector. So given the bleak outlook of the tech sector, are there any bright spots to look out for? And in the grand scheme of things, how should we be re-evaluating our investing approach? Today, we are happy to have on the show Tim Phillips, Head of Content and Investment Lead for Prosperous CGS CIMB Securities. To tell us more, welcome on the show, Tim. How are you this morning? I'm good. Hi, Hi Dan. Hi, Rashan. How are you guys? We are excellent. Great to have you with us, team. Now, Tim, we've seen how the COVID pandemic sent tech stocks soaring uncontrollably at its peak. FAANG stocks contributed significantly to the elevation of the S&P 500 by 400% Mm. from 2009 lows. The Nasdaq 100 index had also shifted up more than 700% during the same period, leaving other markets Mm -hmm. far behind. Now, Tim, it's been said that the large flows of funds into tech stocks during the 2021 years had left the sector overvalued. But with all Mm -hmm. that's happened this year, what can you tell us about their current valuations? Are they still overpriced or are they undervalued? Well, I think there's an important distinction between big tech, which is the the names you guys just mentioned, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the smaller tech names that are probably in the market cap range of sort of 10 to 50 billion, which shot up even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those those valuations have come down extremely drastically, right? And even within big tech, you've seen something like a Facebook trading at what sort of a nine, 10 times P. So it's really, really come down a lot. Uh, the question for investors is whether that is a value stock now, uh, something like a meta, rather, mm-hmm. and, or if it's a value trap, right? And so I think the current valuations are still probably a little bit elevated versus the economic reality, right? Because at this point in time, I think this is true across the market, is that a lot of analysts, sell-side analysts, have still kept their earnings expectations or only taken them down slightly. Mm. And we've seen, you know, interest rates come up by, what, about 400 basis points within nine months, right? So it basically went from zero to what it is now is in the range of 375 mm. to 4%. And so that's the fastest rate of rate increase, hike increases we've had from interest rates in, in the four decades. So in terms of where that leaves the market in, say, six to nine months' time, nobody really knows. And mm-hmm. whether we have a recession, no one really knows as well. There's a lot of speculation whether there's going to be a recession. Mm. But if there is a recession, then naturally, obviously, earnings will follow, right? And so we've seen growth slow already with the big tech guys. You right. know, you've seen the top line slow, and you've seen 
operating profits come down, especially at something like a meta. So what I'd say for investors is if you want to be optimistic on it, you have to be optimistic on there not being a recession in the US and mm. for earnings to hold up, mm. right? And so my personal view at this point is I think earnings expectations, especially from sell side and, and analyst expectations, are going to have to come down because at this point they're, they're just too optimistic going into next year. Mm. And mm. so if there is, if, interest rate hikes have an effect on the economy, which they tend to lag. It usually takes around sort of 12 months to 18 months to see the actual impact of yep. interest rates. And right. so we've, we've had 400 basis points in nine months. So that's a massive, massive hike. So we haven't really seen the real impact on the economy yet. So I think we, we need to be realistic about where that's going to end up in, in the next sort of like nine to 12 months. Right, right. And I, I agree with you. I think uh, it's important that we take into consideration that it's not fully priced in the the effects of the interest rates that have been going up. And, you know, that being said, then how do we recognize where the dip is at or potentially when we know effects of interest rates have been fully priced in and uh, help us understand how much exposure we should be getting from the tech sector? Yeah, well, I think in terms of buying the dip, I don't think that's something that investors should be should be contemplating at this point in time because even though interest rate hikes have been signaled to slow right mm, going yeah. into December I think well, Jay Powell actually said this at the FOMC meeting in, in at the earlier this month he said it's less about the rate of hikes but where it ends up right and for how long so there are three aspects to it the rate of the pace of hikes mm. um, second is where do hikes end up and then, so where did this interest rate end up? And then third is how long are interest rates going to stay at that at that rate, right? For how long? Right. And so I think it's important where it ends up. I think if it's if we kind of start to see data, it's still seven point seven percent inflation, right? So the target, the Fed official target is two percent. So it's way off. You're way mm, off it. So yep. I think there's a lot of excitement in the market about it. it's coming down. It's coming down. It's like oh, that, that's great, but it's still five point two percent above where the target is for the Fed. Exactly. So, you know, they're saying right now that the Fed funds rate, you know, the dot plot is saying 5% by the end of 2023. And I think the market is pricing in there's going to be cuts by the end of next year, right? So that's right. quite optimistic, I think. So if in the end the Fed funds rate target or where we think we're going to end up is at 6%, then I think there's a lot more sort of, you know, valuation compression to come in the market. So I think it's important to recognize where we end up. And then second, how long do we stay there? So right now, we're starting to slow the rate of hikes, which is good. Mm -hmm. But then we've got those two other crucial questions. You know, how long will it stay elevated mm. and what rate is it going to stay elevated? And so those two questions are unknowns at this time mm. uh, until we get the data to kind of understand. And then the Fed, uh, FOMC can obviously assess that and then give forward guidance, you know, where they see rates ending up. But at this point in time, it's still, I think overall exposure to the tech sector long-term is a great structural story. So I don't think mm. anyone should be completely out of the tech sector, mm. but you need to be concentrated in companies that, you know, have operating cash flow, operating cash flow positive or free cash flow positive, mm. have a lot of, you know, visibility on, on enterprise spending. I mean, they're, they're going to be a bit more protected, the enterprise sector, but I think we've seen from big tech, no company is immune from this slowdown, right? And yeah. you've said, you know, a lot, a lot of tech companies have seen their share prices crash even the big tech guys. So mm -hmm. I think this is something that we all have to be cognizant of. Mm, mm, mm. Certainly something we'll be yeah. keeping an eye out on. Now, Tim, I'd like to shift the conversation mm. slightly to the layoff scene in the US. Now, according to right. Truops, 
Tech Layoff Tracker, there have been 1,138 rounds of layoffs at tech companies globally so far this year, and that's affected more than 180,000 people. Now, even though yeah. the current employment picture for other industries remains relatively strong, what does this high volume of layoffs in the tech sector mean for the broader economy? I think you've seen for the broader economy in the US that、mm. it's the job market is still extremely tight actually, and job numbers earlier this month were were really positive. I think they came in above expectations of like two hundred sixty thousand. I think mm. Mm. so. Expectations were in the early two hundreds, and so on job rates. I mean, job additions,、uh, net job additions to the US economy are slowing, but they're still pretty strong, right? And so the unemployment rate picked up a little bit. But in terms of the tech sector specifically, I don't think it's having. So much of an effect on the broader market just yet, but as I said, if the economy does fall into a recession, then it could become much, much、uh, uglier, right? So, in terms of the numbers that are being affected, I think it's important to remember how much how much hiring just took place、mm. over the over the past two or three years, and so in some cases, I think it was just really irresponsible hiring. I mean, for example, Meta. Their headcount went from twenty five thousand in two thousand eighteen to seventy eight thousand just before、wow. the announced layoffs. So they more than tripled their headcount in about five years, right?、Mm-hmm. And and their their operating margin is falling, and obviously they have a lot of cash burn issues. And so I think there's a problem within the tech sector specifically. I think in the heydays, you know, the two thousand ten to the to two thousand twenty two thousand twenty one, we kind of fetishized fetishized. You know, founders. We think, well, founders. Founders are great. You know, they, let's give them all our voting rights,、mm. and they can decide things. <laughs> and I think we've kind of decided, we've kind of seen that that's actually not a perfect solution.、Yep. I mean, to me, it's not any coincidence that two best performing big tech stocks this year、mm. are Microsoft and Apple, and they both have professional management teams. They both have one shareholder, one vote, right? Yep, and they,、right. and there's also no coincidence that they both pay dividends, and、mm. the others don't pay dividends.、Mm. So I think it's important to remember that. Just because a founder is, does something great and does it once doesn't mean he's going to continue to do it. And、mm. we've kind of seen that with Musk going off off script and buying Twitter and、mm. just firing、yeah. people and just being a bit erratic.、Mm. We've、mm. seen that with Zuckerberg being obsessed with the metaverse and,、mm. and just burning tens of billions of dollars.、Mm. You know, an Alphabet is it's got a solid business, but it's just a one-trick pony. You know, it's just search advertising, and they've had all these moonshot investments that haven't generated any cash. So it's important to remember that there's a lot of talk about them, about founders and how great they are, and I totally agree with that. I think there are lots of my fellow investors who would say, you know, founder-led companies, that's great, that's great. But there's really an underappreciation among investors for professionally run companies、mm. by management teams that are professional and、yeah. corporate and thinking about shareholders, right?、Yeah. And so I think that's what we kind of want as investors going into this recession is we want really proper. Head on a proper set of shoulders. Someone who's really quite cool under pressure、mm. understands what the business needs, what and and understands cost discipline. Right? We've seen from Alphabet, even Alphabet. I think their headcount went from one hundred fifty thousand last year to one hundred eighty-seven thousand wow, just this wow. quarter. So、yeah. in one year, in one year, they've added twenty-five percent headcount into a slowing <sighs> into a slowing economy. So yeah, to me, that just doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make much sense, mm, right? Mm, and、yeah. and so I think it's this. Just unfettered hiring and just hiring and hiring and hiring without really thinking about the impact on people and their livelihoods and also the business. And so, I think there was a lot of irresponsible and just really just not having cost controls and thinking about what they're doing. And so, I think it's important for investors to really understand the big tech companies and where they should be 
exposed to because yep. you're putting a lot of your faith into founders and you don't have any voting rights as a shareholder in these kind, some of these companies. Yep. And so I think that's starting to show up now in, in, mm. in the share price performance of the big tech guys. And you kind of see, you're kind of seeing the dispersion. Right. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about this uh, depressing times for the tech stocks, right? Why not let's shift mm. our focus to maybe some of the bright spots in the tech industry, sure. if you see any. And, you know, I mean, mm. for now, I think the bright unicorn that we're seeing is Apple, which reported mm. higher than expected profit recently. And it's yeah. only one among the different tech giants that has performed surprisingly well. But do you yep. see any other companies that are able to tie up this period of volatility? Uh, well, I mean, as, as I just mentioned, I guess Apple and Microsoft, I think they're both two very, very well-run companies yeah. and they both have multiple sources of revenue, right? So if one falls, obviously Apple has the iPhone as the major generator, but they're starting to get more from the Mac and services and AirPods. I mean, all, they built out an incredibly well-run business, which yeah. has multiple sources of revenue and free cash flow is just insane, right? The, the amount that they generate is crazy. And the same can be said of Microsoft, right? With Microsoft, they have Office, they have cloud and they also have their gaming arm, right? So they have three, three different business segments. And if you take a look at their breakdown in revenue, it's, it's about equal. I mean, it's really a third for each of those businesses. And so if there is one, if there's a slowdown in a certain area, the other one is doing better then it kind of offsets it. And so I think that's something that we've kind of seen. I mean, Apple surprised to be honest, because it's a consumer led company. It's a consumer centric company, mm, but yeah. If you are maybe an Apple consumer, maybe you have more discretionary income. So I think they they maybe appeal more to people with with higher discretionary income. And so mm. they haven't suffered as much in a slowdown yet. Mm. With Microsoft, it's more enterprise-led. But even Microsoft is not immune. But, but because everyone uses Office, everyone uses Excel and PowerPoint on a day-to-day -day basis and yeah. they're building out teams, you know, this is something we use every day. So I think they're much less affected by the slowdown than say something like Meta or, or Alphabet, which is in search or which relies on consumer advertising, right? So mm. I think stuff, you know, like, I mean, besides Apple, I think Microsoft is, is probably one of the stronger, uh, stronger big tech names at the moment. Let's now talk about the cornerstone of investing, asset allocation. Mm. It's a time and tested right. approach that has the potential to minimize downside risk and achieve our long-term goals. And on our show, you know, we're all about making the best investment decisions for ourselves as well as for our listeners. So can you tell us the secret formula to a perfect asset allocation in this current economic environment? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we all know the 60-40 asset allocation model has yep. turned out so well so far this year. And I think that's oversimplifying the asset allocation model, right? I mean, I think 60-40 sounds sexy because it's easy, it's two numbers, and so you've got 60% bonds, 60% stocks rather than 40% bonds. But among the asset allocation you should be really thinking about is breaking it down, right? I mean, even REITs is not considered a traditional equity because it's a investment in physical real estate. So mm. actually people should have a specific allocation to REITs, which is separate from their stock allocation oh. because it, it functions really a bit differently from a stock, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's essentially a, an investment in physical real estate. And so a lot of the models, if they talk about REIT allocation, if you're someone who's a bit more aggressive, you should have maybe 12 to 15% in, in REITs. Although I think asset allocation on a whole is really determined personally by yourself, but also second is, is time horizon, right? So if you are someone who is looking at a bit more of a longer time horizon, you can take a bit more risk in your portfolio. Right. But I think there's obvious that you should have stocks, I think, long-term, and they should be a, a large portion if you're a long-term investor, if you have at least 
you know, 15, 20 years of runway left to, to invest, if not more. Mm. Uh, you should have REITs. You should have an allocation to fixed income. You should have an allocation, maybe a small allocation to commodities. And then also in within that, I think there should be an allocation to real assets, right? Whether that is something like infrastructure or clean energy plays. I think these are, these are areas that are bright spots in the current environment. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't try to be too pessimistic in how you allocate assets at this point mm. because obviously if you're a long-term investor these are the best times to, to continue to invest and continue to invest into the market in terms of the asset the perfect asset allocation i think it will it will depend very specifically on your time horizon if you're about to retire in about you know in a year or two years you should be you should still be invested because you've still got a time horizon but you should definitely also have i'd say you know at least two to three years of of expenses in cash mm. just so that you don't need to pull out your investments when you do retire, when you do, when you do stop earning an income. Mm. And obviously your asset allocation just before you retire will look very different to someone who's in their twenties or thirties who yeah. has a much longer time horizon, right? For, for investing. Yep. So then what do yeah. investors tend to overlook when they are reviewing how their assets are being allocated? I think they tend to re- overlook two things. Number one is they tend to overlook the, Time horizon, which I said, which I said, because in this mm. environment where there's fear, right, there's fear of the unknown, we tend to retreat into our shells and just go defensive because that is the natural inclination and it's it's a human emotion. So that's totally understandable. But if you think about it, we should try to be level-headed about how we're planning our financial goals and what our time horizon is to get there, uh, because markets will eventually recover, as we all know. History has proven that. And then number two, I think, is is more about what kind of assets are they are they actually exposed to and how correlated are those assets? So we've right. seen this year with stocks and bonds, they're very correlated, which mm-hmm. is unusual in history, but it's not really surprising based on the, you know, the macroeconomics and the environment that we're in. And so I think looking for assets that are uncorrelated and adding a little bit of diversification, whether that's through private assets or through, uh, through infrastructure or through real assets, through REITs, you know, things like that, I think it helps you diversify your mm asset mix right. and that's always going to help you right if you have 100% in stocks and you go into this down down you know this sell off it's not been pretty but if you've had a bit in you know if you've had stuff in more defensive sectors or you've had uh, stuff in private assets or you've had things in, uh, in in commodities you've done okay right or if you have had mm. exposure to energy it's the same with sector exposure i think it's it's, it's a similar similar sort of approach when you're looking at assets as well. Mm, mm. Diversify. That's the word yeah, of the day. Diversify. Yeah, certainly. Yes. <laughs> now, Tim, you've told us a lot about the wider picture of asset management. I want to specifically mm. zoom in on 2023 with many economists cutting their 2023 global economy forecast. How then should mm. we be re-evaluating our approach to investing in the near future? I think with the global economy, I think the likelihood that there is going to be a recession is quite high. Mm. Um, maybe not on the, uh, maybe not globally, but certainly in the US. And I mean, Europe, I think, is, is definitely going to go into a recession. So how we reevaluate our approach is completely dependent, I think, on the on your time horizon. Again, I, I don't think we should fundamentally change our approach in terms of how we think about investing long term, because we need to be con- invested in the market. You hear all, all those that's about, you know, you need to be invested in the five best days. I won't regurgitate that because we've heard it a thousand times, but I don't think it's wise to just pull everything out and just be in cash, right? I think you do need to be invested, but hold more cash, 
for opportunities that do come about because I think a lot of people this year have been excited and been trying to buy the dip, say, in July and then trying to buy the dip again in, you know, when we had the falls in October. And I think these are short-term movements and it's been about nine months, right, since we started raising interest rates. So I think keep more cash on hand just to see opportunities, but stay invested but keep more cash in terms of your overall allocation to cash in your portfolio. Keep mm-hmm. more on hand, dry powder, take, take advantage of opportunities, but also think about where you want to be, right? Do you want to be in dividend stocks? I mean, if you look back at history, yeah. dividend stocks have on average in the U.S. over the past sort of, what, seven, eight decades, they've you know made up 41% of the average decade's return in the wow. U.S. stock market since wow. 1930, right? 41%. And so there are, there are variations, right? In the 50s, it made up 30%. In the 80s, it made up 28%. And in the 2000s, you remember when we had the, the dot-com bubble, right? At the beginning of, yep. 2000, of the 2000 decade. Mm-hmm. And then we had the financial crash at the end of 2009, or yep. 2009 rather. So that decade, the actual price return was negative for the S&P 500. Mm. But because if you had invested in dividend stocks, you would have gotten annualized 1.8%. Wow. Uh, so you would have been positive. Wow. So I think it's important to remember, and. In the 2010s decade that we just had, it was one of the lowest on record from from dividends, 17% mm. of mm. the total return, and 83% because we just had an insanely amazing bull market for 10 years or 12 years. So I'm thinking, is it going to be different? Is it going to revert to maybe dividend stocks in this decade or actually going to make up more of your total return rather than price, right? Yep. And so I think that's something to, to really think about and look back on history and, mm. and think about the macro but don't completely shun, you know, your growth and your tech because there are structural stories in there. But think mm. about your asset allocation. And, and this is a good time to think about dividends, right? And think about where dividends fit into your portfolio. Because mm. I think this decade could be, uh, could be one where dividends come back to the fore. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent yeah. insight. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on board to All share right. your time and insight with Money FM 89.3. It's been great. Thanks, guys. And Tim, just before I let you go, it is yep. the World Cup weekend. I have to ask you, it who are you rooting for? Well, I'm I'm half English, so I'm going to be supporting England. So uh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm there. I'm, you know, it's not been a great run in the past, sort of, what, six games without a win. But yep. hopefully, uh, you know, the boys can turn it around. All <laughs> right. All the best. Good luck with all your right. pick for England. Thank you so much for joining Thanks. us this morning, Tim. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Rashawn. We've been speaking to Tim Phillips, Head of Content and Investment Lead for Prosper Us, CGS, CIMB Securities. Now keep it here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.